So greatest stories ever told, number eight. Uh, we're going to look at the glory of God today. It's a, it's a continuation of last week, which was the incarnation. And I'll do a little intro to kind of bring that in. But we're going to start in James 1. We're going to jump to a few different spots. So the glory of God is our title. Father, we thank you so much for um, who you are. And I pray that we would see you in a different light, just uh, recognizing these attributes that you have, Lord. And so bless our time together as we offer it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All of God's people said? Amen. Amen. So let's see how we want to go about this. Let's, uh, here, last week we looked at the incarnation, that Jesus Christ came into the world through a virgin birth. We looked at the, that whole um, birth of Jesus, the Christ, probably about four weeks ago. But last week, the Lord had put on my heart just this incarnation. And a big, big, big point that we walked away from was, as Christians, there is nothing secular for us. Everything is sacred because Christ lives in us. He dwells in our hearts. And so the incarnation, actually, he, he took on flesh and he lives inside of us. And so that's an incredible thing that God is inside of us as Christians. And so the Bible teaches that, and that means a lot. You would think, man, and I'm never, ever going to sin because Jesus is in me, right? He convicts me, he leads me, he guides me, but unfortunately that's not the case because Jesus is living in a enemy of mine, right? My flesh, and I'm sinful, I'm, I'm naughty, from the get-go, right? From way at the beginning. I was born in sin. And so Jesus lives in us and there's a hope that's there. But nonetheless, we've got to learn how to surrender to that, how to yield to Jesus inside of us. And that takes maturity and growth and time. And we're never going to be sinless, but we should, as Christians, sin less and less and less if we're cooperating with God in sanctification. So we never need to be condemned to think that we have to be perfect. We are perfect in Christ. We never think that we have to be perfectly righteous. We are perfectly righteous in Christ, right? Because it's his righteousness that God sees us with. But nonetheless, we want to participate and cooperate because Christ does dwell in us and we want to yield, surrender as he's leading and guiding us. So that's the incarnation. The glory of God is kind of on a different Love. If you were to give me an idea of what you think is the glory of God, what would you say? What is the glory of God? Bo? His people. His people? Okay. His people are his glory. Anybody else? What is the glory of God? What does it mean? Shekinah is definitely a word in the Hebrew that we're going to definitely want to break down. What is Shekinah? What does that mean? Look up Brian uh, Shekinah. I think uh, Shekinah refers to the presence of God and it speaks of his glory. I didn't look it up. I just Didn't Moses have, have the Shekinah glory after God yeah. had passed by him? Yeah, so we're going to look at that in Exodus. Definitely. So a reference to the glory of God is definitely found in Exodus when Moses um, asked God to see his glory. So we're going to look at that. But that'll be one of the things we look at. Do you see anything, Brian? Shekinah? Yeah. Want to read this real quick? Yeah. It says the word Shekinah actually does not appear in the Bible, but the concept does. 
The Jewish rabbis coined this term, the Hebrew word that literally means he caused to dwell, signifying that it was the divine visitation of the presence or the dwelling of the Lord God on the earth. I thought it had something to do with presence. So the presence of God is represented by his Shekinah glory. Okay? And so we're going to look at that. So our first verse is found in James chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. The Bible says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. And by the way, everybody meets the, the definition of a rich man or woman in this room just because of where we live. Um, so that's a kind of a strange little couple verses there, huh? Let the lowly poor guy glory in his exaltation, the rich man um, in, his in his humiliation. What, what do you think that means? That... Um, the lowly is, is glorying in his exaltation. He's in an exalted position where the rich person is to glory in our humiliation. And then it tells us why that rich isn't going to last very long because like a grass or a flower, it's going to wither. You're in this context, so you put yourself in the place of this rich person and you are told to glory in your humiliation. To be humble in that position is... Or are riches forever? No. And there are struggles that come with money. And so, though we may be in a position to be well off, are we to trust in those riches? Okay, but the world does, do they not? They have the best doctors. They have the best this, that, and the other, right? And so, it seems to be cyclical, and we need to be careful to recognize that everything can be gone in a moment's notice. Um, you look at you know something like 9-11-2001, right? September 11th, 2001, and what happened to the stock market and just things can crash in a, in a moment's notice, right? Remember in the Old Testament, um, a prophet, I think it's Elijah, speaking to the king, and he says, or it might be Elisha, um, he tells him, uh, you know, tomorrow, even though right now people are, basically eating nothing in this famine tomorrow it's it's just going to be on it's going to be awesome and he didn't believe him and he says you're going to see it but you won't be able to partake of the blessing because you didn't believe and so in a moment's notice god turned it around and everything was and, and god is able to do that god is able to intervene in um just the world and and just spin things and so if we are in a position where we're rich or we're well off or we have food and clothing, which is the bare necessities, but that is, we should be content with that, then we need to thank God for that and be thankful for that, but never trust in that. Our trust needs to be in the Lord. And that's kind of what this is saying. Jump over to First Peter with me and chapter 3 because there's a, another concept here before we get into the glory that I want to kind of show you here as it relates to women, because that is in general for all of us. And this one can be for women and men, but it's speaking specifically to wives. So 
First Peter chapter three. When you get it, say got it. Got it. Some don't. First Peter chapter three. If you don't know where First Peter is, it's right before Second Peter. First Peter chapter three. Oh, it is right next to James. First Peter. Man, you guys are awesome. Verse three. Do not let your speaking to women. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging of hair, wearing of gold, putting on fine, fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. As beautiful as women are and as glad as we are as men that they take care of their appearance, God is saying appearance is okay. Nothing wrong with appearance. Nothing wrong with looking out for your appearance. But don't merely make that your priority. Don't, don't elevate that above. And then it tells us what God likes. He likes a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And so if we're going to work on something, if we're going to look towards something, then those are things that God is esteeming highly. Now let's go over to Exodus And let's take a look at this awesome story, chapter 33. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, or the second book in the Old Testament, way in the beginning. Second book in the Bible, Exodus chapter 33. When you get it, say, got it. it. Starting at verse 12. The continuation of this study, by the way, will be next Sunday. Not this Sunday, next Sunday. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where we will be in two weeks, speaks of Moses coming down when his face glowed. So that will be kind of the culmination of this study. Verse 12, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me... But... Wait, 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 wait. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider this nation is your people. And he, speaking of God, said to him, Moses, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight. And I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. What did he ask him? To show me your what? Show me your glory. At this point in the nation of Israel's history, they've been delivered from slavery. They're going to go into the promised land. God is setting up how this is all going to transpire. He's communicating to his servant Moses that he is with the nation of Israel that he and they have found grace in the sight of God. That's why they were separate from the other nations, because God favored them. God loved them. He showed his kindness towards them. And God had already 
proven to Moses two things prior to this request that Moses had had. Moses is here now desiring to go further with the Lord. And I want you to think about that because God will not deny anybody the desire to go further with him. And so if you ask God, Lord, I want to go deeper. I want to go further. I want to know you better. I want to know you more. In this case, he's asking, please show me your glory. I want your presence, is what he's saying. Verse 19, then he said, God, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So Moses asks God to see his glory. God responds to Moses, what is going to pass before him? His what? Glory. No, he doesn't say glory. What's the word he uses? My what? My goodness. My goodness. So the glory of God is synonymous with the goodness of God. Usually there's a yin and yang, I think it's what it's called in the world. There's like a, you know, there's, there's opposites, right? These extremes, but and then they have an opposite, right? With God, he's only good. He, he, there's no bad, there's no ugly, there's no, it, God is good. And so God's glory, God's presence, what God is going to reveal to him is who he is. And there's nothing outside of God that is not good. God is all good. And that's an, a very important um, foundational truth that we as Christians must maintain because we will go through things in this world that won't make sense. Sometimes there'll be difficult things to try and navigate through. But we need to know that God is good and definitely that God loves us. And so synonymous with glory is goodness. <clears throat> he goes on. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see my face and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock, so it shall be while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, for my face shall not be seen. Only time in the Bible that that word, that back, is used, is what I understand. And it really is a reference to an afterglow, that word back. So basically an afterglow service is going to take place for Moses. God is going to put him in a rock, a cleft of a rock, I would imagine. He's going to cover his face with his hand. And God is using anthropomorphic terms to describe what he's going to do. Big word, what does that mean? Anthropomorphic. Human attributes bringing God down to our level so that we can relate and understand. Okay? And so he's going to put his hand to cover his face. God is going to go by. How could his hand be there if he's going to go by? Right? Yeah, he's God. He could do anything he wants. So he's kind of, that's what he's doing. He's letting us know how he's going to do it. And then once he goes by, his glory and the after glory is what Moses is going to see. Now this is going to take place and then Moses would go down from the mountain and what's going to happen? He has to put a veil to cover 
for two things. It's, I, I find kind of funny. One is the, the children of Israel see it and they're scared because, whoa, Moses talks to God face to face. But he says right there, nobody can see his face, right? He can't do it face to face. And so one of them is from the nation of Israel because they're scared, the children of Israel, if you will. But the other one is it starts to dissipate. It starts to kind of go away. And Moses doesn't want them to see that it's going away. So I find that interesting. All right, jump over to Isaiah chapter 6, one of my favorite accounts in the Bible. I love this little section. Isaiah chapter 6. In the middle of your Old Testament, it would be Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. I think in that order. When you get it, say, got it. Got it. Got it. Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 1, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, one, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here, I, here am I, send me. So, just an interesting account where something traumatic happens in the life of um, Isaiah, the prophet. And if you were to read Isaiah 1-5, through 5, you would see that he's pronouncing woes on the nations before them. And, you know, woe to this nation and woe to this nation. And then all of a sudden he says, woe is me. In the year that something traumatic happens, the king, somebody that he's looking to on earth, dies. And so it took something in his life to take place for him to see the Lord high and exalted. And this speaks of, as well, the glory of the Lord. And so I think it is in our lives oftentimes that God, as we are growing in the grace and knowledge of God, as we are moving forward and deeper in the things of God, something will come into our life where we will cry out and call out to the Lord, and the Lord wants to reveal himself to us. If you watch the life of the disciples, they saw different parts of Jesus only because they were going through different stages in their lives and in their walks with God. And so as we are being sanctified, set apart in, the, in, in our walk with God, really, I think it's just those, those times that God wants us to be closer to him, that God wants to get our attention, that God wants to uh, have us look to him and cry out to him. And in those moments, man, we have awesome opportunities to grow in incredible things for Isaiah to be able to see the Lord high and lifted up. And in his presence, what does he do? He recognizes, I'm sinful. I'm sinful in the presence of God. All these scriptures, um, I, I was looking up just in, in preparation for this, just when people would come in contact 
with God. I found it interesting, uh, the reactions, but ultimately, over and over, people fall down. People bow down. People are humbled in the presence of God. And so pride cannot exist in the presence of God. And if pride, which is in all of us, if pride is in us to the full, then God needs to remove that pride from us so that we can learn, I'm not all that, number one, and God is. And I need to be prostrate, bowed down in his presence. And that's not, those aren't always the easiest lessons. For me, they've been the hardest lessons of my life. But they're always good lessons. They're things that you wouldn't trade for the world. You wouldn't wish them upon your worst enemy. You wouldn't wish them on anybody because, wow, that was a hard, difficult season. But you wouldn't trade them from the world, for the world because in those moments, God does something deep, deep, deep within the heart of his kid, of his child. And so don't resist that. Even though we don't want those things, we won't sign up for those things. But those are times that are pretty awesome. Another time in the Bible we see the glory of God is found in Matthew chapter 17. And it's when Jesus basically reveals himself to um, Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. And I don't know, I don't know if he's inside out or what happens, but basically his glory is shining through and he's there with Moses and Elijah. And I love the voice that comes out of heaven that interrupts, by the way, Peter, because Peter like is napping and then he comes to and he's like, Oh, Jesus, it's good that we're here. Hey, Moses. Hi, Elijah. We should build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then God interrupts him. God the Father comes out of a cloud. And what does he say? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And there's a lot being said there. There's a lot that's going on there. But a big lesson that we need to get is it's not found in the Law and the Prophets. Because that's who Moses and Elijah represented. And they're looking to Moses, Elijah, and Jesus as if they're equal. The law, the prophets, and Jesus. And God the Father comes out and he says, no, 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 no. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And so that we would learn to discern the voice of God and that we would experience the glory of God in that. In John 1, 1, we looked at it last week. We said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14 says, And the word became flesh, and we beheld the glory as of the only begotten Son, or the only begotten one of the Father, full of grace and truth. Right? Something like that? Let me read it. Am I misquoting John 1, 14? John 1, 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. I find this section interesting. I had to cut the message because I thought when I was doing the glory of God, we were going to end a certain way. But then when I read that the culmination to the glory of God is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I couldn't teach 2 Corinthians chapter 3 today and teach it in two weeks at church on Sunday. So if you want to hear the culmination, come to church next week. You can come this week too. So in Romans chapter 1, we have in verse 18, when you get it, say got it. 
Chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven's, uh, heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what be, may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, notice it's the lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. Verse 26 says, for this reason God gave them up. Verse 27, likewise also the men, no, that's not it. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. This is what's happening in our world today, unfortunately. The world finds himself on a broad road. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God and the um, firmament something shows his handiwork. Romans chapter 1 teaches that the world has the witness of creation that everybody knows deep, deep inside that there is a God. But they don't want to walk with that God. They don't want somebody telling them what to do. They want to be the God of their life. They want to call the shots. And so what they do is they suppress or push down truth. And the Bible declares here in Romans 1 that it leaks out or or it manifests itself in two ways. Unrighteousness, sin against man, and ungodliness, sin against God. After that step, that stage, there's a ingratitude. They're not thankful. Their hearts become not thankful for the things that God has given and blessed and all of this life alone. And then they just continue down in the spiral going downwards and they change the glory of God and they begin to worship the creation instead of the creator. I believe that in a sense for us as Christians this can happen to us if we're not careful to make sure that we look to the Lord and give thanks, be thankful, be grateful. Any complaining that we do, I don't know if you know this, but it's against God. Anytime we complain, anytime that we're murmuring, anytime that we're griping, anytime that we're um, any of those things, it's really against God because God is not only the God of the universe, but he's the God of your circumstances. And so we need to be thankful in our lives. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Even in a difficulty, we're supposed to thank God. We're not thankful for the difficulty. Nobody would be, right? That would be like weird. Oh, my dog just died. Woohoo, thank you, Jesus. No, I mean, that would be just weird. But we're thankful because we know that God is on the throne. And that God deserves to be worshipped and praised and even given thanks. And he's going to show us something through these things. 
He's going to teach us something through these things. And so we need to rightfully keep God where he belongs on the throne and adoration and worship and bowing down to him. And that is really, truly just to me, it's, a, it's, simplest, it's simply a walk of faith. We're called to walk by faith and to take God at his word and to trust him. And this world, I don't know how we got here, but people are challenging God. People have the audacity to mock God. And I see it at every turn, mostly, I guess, on TV and entertainment and those types of places. But I see it all the time. And for us as Christians, it's hard not to be affected by the culture that we live in. Everybody in the Bible is affected by their culture. Why did David have multiple wives? That's what they did in that culture. Why did Abraham try to help God out with Hagar, his handmaiden? Because that's what people did in that culture. And so we're affected by our culture. And as far as political and all of that, it's not really about that. It's just simply more about keeping the main thing the main thing. And for you and me, the main thing needs to be Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And everything else should take its place right under that. The glory of God in a nutshell is God's presence. And God wants to make his presence known to you. But God will not play games either. And God wants a sanctified people. A people that are set apart from the world. If you want to tiptoe in the world and if you want to dance in the world and if you want to do those types of things, then go have your fling. But God is a jealous God. And he doesn't want us playing with the world and then coming back to him and just this kind of back and forth thing. God wants us sold out for him. God is worthy of that level of worship. And worship is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365-day a year kind of proposition. It's all day, every day. And so that is when you will begin to experience the presence of God in your life and living with the presence of God in mind, you'll see the glory of God. That's kind of why I brought up those two ver- uh, sets of verses at the beginning, James and First Peter. Because I think our culture elevates money for sure and outward appearance for sure. And again, those two things, are, they're, they're neutral commodities. There's nothing wrong with beauty, and there's nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money, the Bible says and teaches, that leads to all kinds of... Yeah, it's hard to not have a perspective on money in America. I mean, I, again, we're blessed. You travel the world and you, you know... And it's not, we're, the, we're not the only ones that are blessed. I mean, there's a lot of nations that are doing very well, and... The standard of living for people in those nations is not bad, but we truly are just blessed people. And then to be in Southern California, you're created for God's pleasure. And if you live to give God pleasure, you will find that you will receive an incredible level of pleasure because God will be a debtor to nobody. And so, you know, don't lose sight of that. Be blessed to bless God and just walk in obedience to what he calls you to. And then it's just this neat little cycle of things that scripture in first um, psalm 37 uh, says delight yourself in the lord's and he'll give you the desires of your heart as you delight yourself in the lord and he's giving you the desires of your heart he changes your desires to match the things that he wants to bless you with you're delighting in him so he wants to bless you because he won't let you out give him 
And it's just a neat cycle of just God continues to change your desires to match his. And then you just want to continue to delight in the Lord and he's blessing you with things. And it's just a neat, neat little thing. So be encouraged. God loves us. He's an incredible God. So understand that as we want to go deeper and further with the Lord, the Lord will only take us as far as we desire. He's not going to force himself upon us. Billy Graham has taught that God, the hound of heaven is the Holy Spirit and that he goes after us, but he is a gentleman. He will not force his will upon our lives. And so it is, I guess, for the Christian, a scary prayer to pray, Lord, I want to see your glory because you don't know what that's going to take. But again, having gone through it, you'll never be sad for it. You'll never... You'll never want to change that. But it's your call. It's, it's my call. If we want to go further and deeper, uh, you will never be a person of depth unless you go through deep things. Bottom line. You just have to. I wish we can learn through just reading. I wish we can like get a coloring book and color in the pictures and all right, I got it. I understand. Yeah, no, you don't. We have to unfortunately go through. We have to take the course. It's not a correspondence course. We have to go through it. And so these things are not to be theoretical. They're not to be head knowledge. And so let the Lord do what he wants to do. But we have to look to him and be good responders and be thankful in the process. And I think that's kind of the tough part, right? Is to have that heart of gratitude. Because we're kicking and screaming, I'm going, Jesus, but I'm not happy about this sometimes. And I think maturity comes when we're just thankful and we don't understand it and we don't like it. Being thankful and grateful to God doesn't mean that we're you know, agreeing with what's happening. We're just walking by faith, taking God at his word that, Lord, am I going to see your glory through this? Am I going to have your presence in this? And let God do that. And I think it's, it's a growing up in the things of God. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word and just, uh, just pray, Father, that as my brothers and sisters go through difficulties, that you would be right there in the midst with them, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would comfort the faint-hearted, that you would lift up the weak, strengthen the feeble knees, and just continue, Lord, to walk and talk with us as we go through things. I pray, Father, that we would desire to see your glory, that we would desire to go further with you. And I thank you for the testimony of my brothers and sisters here who graciously and boldly shared of their difficult times, but that they were able to see you in the midst of what was taking place. And so, Lord, may we never forget. Sometimes we have that short-term memory loss where we do forget, but Lord, may we never forget that you've been with us all along and you will continue to be with us. So we thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.